Hello there. Welcome along to Season 2, Episode 7 of Horse Racing Heroes, sponsored, of course, by Horse Racing Ireland. And this episode is about the late, great Pat Smullen. And if you're listening to this episode on the day of its release, it is the 15th of September 2021, which is the one-year anniversary of Pat's passing. And I wanted to do something to mark that. So usually on this show, I interview people with the intention of telling the life story, or at least the career story, of the episode's subject. But that didn't really feel like the right thing to do for for this one. Instead, I thought I would try to speak to a number of people who were close to Pat to discuss some of the good days, hear some of their favourite memories about him, with the ultimate intention of putting some smiles on faces on what is a sad day. So over the course of this episode, you'll hear from 10 other people. They are Pat's wife, Frances Crowley, his longtime boss, Dermot Weld, Mick Canan, Jamie Spencer, Ruby Walsh, Kevin O'Ryan, Fran Berry, Kevin Manning, Declan McDonough, and Gavin Lynch, who will tell us about the brilliant event he's organising in Pat's memory. The show will then end with an incredible tribute to Pat by his Wayroom colleagues and the Newbridge Gospel Choir, which some of you may have seen and heard recently at the Curra over Champions Weekend. So there's no shortage of guests on the show, and I hope it's amounted to a fitting tribute to one of the all-time greats. And without further ado, we'll begin with Pat's wife and mother to their three children, Frances Crowley. So Francis, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, to start with, could you tell us the story of how yourself and Pat first met? Um, well, we first met when we were both riding. Um, uh, so I think the first time I really remember Pat was riding in Tremor one day. He beat me a short head or maybe actually I have the photo on the wall now, so could have been a bit more. And I remember, I think I was due to lose my two pound claim and that would have been, a, uh, then I would have had no claim. So um, I think I was really, uh, I was pretending to be really cross with him. And I remember pretending to strangle him. And that was the first time we had kind of um, met him, I suppose, or, or uh, realized he was there because he was pretty quiet in the way room. And um, so that's the first I really remember of him. And then we both ended up going to Dubai that winter. I think it was that winter. And um, Dubai is such a small place. And we all ended up socializing together and, you know, and going out together. So that's where we would have gotten, gotten together then afterwards. Okay, fantastic. What, what an interesting uh, first impression, beating you in a, in a, in a close finish. <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah well look I don't think it was that difficult for him to beat me in a close finish anyway (laughs) (laughs) okay well uh, we'll fast forward a few years obviously Pat's career would go from strength to strength he'd bring him to the top of the game Um, I spoke to Dermot Weld who told me the Epsom Derby was always the big but elusive goal for himself and Pat how was it for you to see Pat finally go and win that win that race on Harazan yeah that was um, I mean that was amazing I must admit, I didn't go. Um, first of all, um, I, I decided things were a little bit, um, it, whether he'd run and, or not run, uh, but I hadn't organized to go because I didn't, I didn't kind of realize what a good chance he had, I suppose. Also, I wanted to watch it at home with the kids because um, 
you actually get get a better idea almost of what's happening and the excitement of everything. And I wanted to experience it with the kids as opposed to being over there and, and being a little bit on the outside of what's going on. Because as a jockey's wife, you're, you're not part of the, the connections of the horse as such. So you tend to be sort of watching from a distance. So that's what I decided to do. And it was, um, I think, a good decision, although I would have loved to have been there. But I think the kids would not have realized the um, the magnitude of the win. You know, when they're there on their own, they don't realize what's going on. So I think having me there with them and, you know, getting exciting and, I, I, I you know, me getting overwhelmed with emotion afterwards. I think there are big memories of me absolutely bursting into tears when he crossed the line. So. So I'm glad I stayed at home and I'm glad I watched it with the kids because they remember it better. And um, when he arrived home, then we we um, we were all out to welcome him. So I think that was nice for him as well. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about that that homecoming and maybe any celebrations that followed? Yeah, well, well, uh, a few of the neighbours came over, a few friends and neighbours came over. We didn't have a massive big party or anything. We, we, we opened a bottle of champagne. We had a glass of champagne, but... It was just that feeling of achievement. And, you know, I think I don't think I've ever really seen him quite as just happy and, and contented after the race, you know, just to have that, that race ticked off. It was a really big thing for him. And the next day, um, I, the next day, I think Caroline Norris came over and we just spent a really lovely day. It was a really nice day. We had the kids out on the ponies and there was just a, a kind of a sense of, um, you know, a, a sense of celebration, for, uh, you know, over the next few days. And we had the Hars and homecoming, I think, that afternoon. He came, he, he arrived back and we went over to Wells. And then over the next few weeks, we had um, um, a, a a celebration in the school the local schools put on um days for pat which was lovely and the the um the village of road had signs coming into and out of road so i think after after they were up for a few weeks the kids were starting to say i think they need to take those you know big signs down now but it was that you know it was lovely so so there was a great sense of achievement and um sense of occasion about the the whole thing Sounds absolutely lovely, yeah. Um, wondering, is, is there another day in Pat's, from Pat's career in the saddle that stands out to you as a highlight? Um, well, I think there were, I mean, there were lots of, um, lots of highlights. It, any Royal Ascot winner, they, they, were always, um, they were always great. Um, I mean, I think when Free Eagle won the Prince of Wales Stakes, that, that, was, um, that was a really great day, um, you know, and to, to win such a big race. For Ava Hafner, who who um, had taken over Moigler, that you know that that was a really a really great day as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember that it was a fantastic ride. I know we beat Jamie Spencer in a in a close finish, and I'm, I'm hoping to have a chat with Jamie at some stage as well for this. So, um, off the track, Francis, is there any particular happy memory or story that you might uh, be willing to share with us? Yeah, well, I mean, I actually had a good think about this, and. Um, you know most of most of our kind of you know a lot of a lot of times it is to do with racing that you think of these things and then other days were maybe of um 
you know, when he would come and see the kids competing, like there was a day he was suspended and he came to the community game, games awfully final um, one year and the Cura was on. So it was quite a, it was, it was kind of, you know, usually he'd be really upset to miss a Cura meeting, but um, our, our youngest daughter was racing. I think she was only six at the time and she was in the under eights final and she won it, which meant she booked her place in, um, Dublin so the poor little thing I think it was like getting a good two-year-old and absolutely galloping it to death I'd, I think she never wanted to run again after that but 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 uh, that was a really big um thrill for him you know it was it was just something different for him to watch somebody else competing and um the pressure we put on that poor child that day to win <laughs> um I think also that the, you know there was other days but um the day he had his operation and funnily a lot of times that I can remember happy days off the track tend to have been in the in the times um, after he got sick and retired funnily enough but the day he had his operation um, it, it was a massive operation and we were all really nervous but um, when he woke up, um, and I think it ha happens a lot, people are a little bit delirious, but the first thing he said when he woke up was um, that he wanted to buy a new tractor, which was quite funny. <laughs> you know, so so that was a, that was a funny one. But um, yeah, I, it, on reflection of that, um, it was weird that I a lot of days, maybe because it's their most recent in my memory, but a lot of the kind of days that he was really content and happy in a way were um, after he retired. Okay, I see. I certainly wasn't expecting that that tractor line to come out of your mouth. <laughs> I wasn't either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I can't imagine how difficult the last year uh, has been for yourself and your children. But I hope there's been some some comfort provided by uh, the support uh, and the tributes to Pat from within the racing community. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I suppose initially after um, after he died, I mean, the you know, even the, the day that we brought him home from the hospital, just that whole uh, driving by the car and just all the people being out on the road, you know, that was that was very emotional and really did give a lot of support even you know because it was that that time when loads and loads of people couldn't come to a funeral and um the the way the Cura have honored him by naming the way room after him that was really lovely and and um being able to to put that mosaic in in the way room that's um you know really lasting tribute to him so that that was a lovely day and and really meant a lot and um and then he more recently then we had the the lovely um tribute from Galway Racecourse um they um named the leading jockey award in honor of Pat as well in, in a conjunction with, with Rooney um auctioneers and um you know there's been loads of, of there's been races named after him and I think a lot of racing people are coming together now to do the coast to Curra um cycle um so that's um so that that's a big fundraising effort um in Pat's name and um Gavin Lynch's Gavin Lynch who's organizing the event in a in in a memory of his mother as well yeah I've seen that coast to Curra it looks fantastic I know there's Barry Garrity and a few others are, are getting on board to support as well. So it looks like there'll be a great turnout for it. 
yeah yeah there's, there's going to be um yeah there's going to be a huge turnout so it should be fun i think i think i have to do a, a bit of it myself as well so i better get <laughs> Um, it's nice to see as well. It's not just Ireland. Um, Ted Durkin in the UK organised a nice tribute in Newmarket. I think he named named a race after after Pat. That's right. Yeah, because they did want to do something straight after uh, kind of after he died, but with COVID and everything, um, it, it 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 just didn't work out. So yeah, so so Ted was really um, anxious to do something, and being one of his best friends as well. So. He he had that race sponsored um, in honor of Pat, and they they there. I know there was one in the Stole as well, and um, but uh, there's been a few anyway. So you know, there, it's it's um, every time he's remembered is special. It's really nice. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, finally, Francis, I believe you've been helping Don McLean to finish Pat's memoirs. How's that? How's that been? Yeah. Um, so it's it's obviously a great honor to help finish Pat's book. He did a lot of um, work on it with Don. They 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 had been working on it for I think about a year, just going through um, Pat's life and all the big days and maybe the not so big days. And so it, it was actually in the last year of Pat's life, it was a really great way of him to relive all those great memories. And it really did him the world of good. It was just such such a nice experience for him. So, you know, if if uh, if not one person buys this book, that alone would have made it worth it. And um, personally, it's just great to have his voice recorded so much and you can hear his voice in the book which is great and it's going to be just lovely for the kids to have as well for the future yeah and i know i'm, I'm certainly looking forward to picking that up well francis those are all my questions um thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me it was it was lovely to talk to you it was lovely to hear those stories you shared and i know the listeners will really appreciate it too and love hearing from you so thank you so much Thank you, Mark. Great talking to you. Thank you so much again to Francis. As you can tell from that chat, just one of the loveliest people you could hope to meet. You'll have heard me mention in there that I spoke to Dermot Weld, so next up it is the Master of Rosewell. Dermot Weld. Uh, yourself and Pat Smullen had one of the most successful partnerships in racing. Could you tell us how that started? It all started off uh, when Michael Canaan, who had been my stable jockey for a number of years and had been highly successful, and um, he was moving to ride for Aidan O'Brien and for John Magner. And uh, I discussed with him who he thought might be the best replacement, if we can use the word. And um, as so, Pat Smullen was the name that Michael Canaan mentioned to me. So I work very much as a team. So Michael and I decided we'd give Pat a. As Michael made the decision, I think around about July time, that the following year he would be going to ride for Aidan O'Brien. That was to give me plenty of time to get a replacement. And we decided we'd give Pat Smullen. A ride in a group race at the Curragh in a race that I sponsored in memory of my late father's CL Well Park Stakes. I ran two fillies in it, both belonged to Mike there stud. Michael Canan rode the favourite. Uh, Pat rode nice filly, one of the outsiders. 
as luck would have it, have it. Um, Michael was third and Pat won on the outsider. And I think that was about, that more or less made sure uh, that he was going to be the number one jockey for I think it turned out for the next 18 or 20 years. Mm. To maintain that relationship for such a long time, it's not just Pat's talent, but also his, his personality must, must make that happen. Oh well, yeah, you know what I mean? He was nine times champion jockey during that time. Every other year he would have been runner-up right up to the very last year when he was beaten by one, I think, by Colin Keane. Um, there was a combination of factors that makes any relationship like that last that long. Obviously, his wonderful talent uh, was a leading factor in it, but um, it was the quality of the man and um, that really attracted one towards him. It was the quality of the man that made that partnership last for 20 years. And I'd like to talk about some, some of those great days you shared together, Harazan winning the Epsom Derby. Yeah, we had, we had many successes around the world. We had won classics in Ireland. Um, as I said, we had some great days in America, especially. And but the one race that we both wanted to win uh, was the Epsom Derby. I'd been fortunate; I said winning Melbourne Cups, uh, Belmont Stakes. Nobody else has won since or before. And uh, we'd won Grade Ones on East Coast, Midwest, and the West Coast of the United States. And. Um, won the Epsom Oaks, the English 2000 Guineas. And so it went. But we never won the one race we both wanted to win. We're both united in the one horse race in the world we wanted to win was the Epsom Derby. And um, that's when Harrison came, came on. Uh, he provided us with our greatest moment. Mm, and there was a bit of drama that morning of the race. I believe Pat was close to not travelling over. Yeah, there was, huge, there was huge drama because everything was said. He was going to fly in the morning of the race, which he did. But unfortunately, at Dublin Airport, there was a delay and he was in his horse box. And as luck would have it, just coming down off the ramp of the horse box to get onto the plane, he one of his racing plates, we call his spread, spread a plate, it moved. And it wasn't so much, it loosened. So he loosened one of his racing shoes, his racing plates. But the problem was it wasn't so much that it, he spread the plate, but one of the little nails that keeps the plate in place, that actually uh, pressed into his flesh. So more or less quicked him. Uh, consequently, he was very lame. And uh, there wasn't time to bring a farrier uh, from the car up to Dublin airport. I had to make the call. I was in London. Uh, I'd gone over the night before and um, I wanted to have a look at the track. And uh, I, I got a call about seven o'clock telling me when it wasn't possible to get a farrier up, I had to make a call was, do we wait and for a farrier to come? Or do we go now? Do we call it a day here and now because everything I'm being told by my traveling head lad is that he's very lame. And it would be best to cancel the trip right now, save the expense of flying him over to Epsom. So that was the first call. Was it worth the effort? Was it worth the cost? Was it worth the perseverance? Seeing that he's so lame, I've put them on the plane and flying them to, 
just south of London. Um, or should we wait and get a, a farrier to come and see if we could get, see if the flight plane could get out later. But it wasn't that easy because to get, for the plane to get some landing rights and things on a busy weekend, it wasn't on. So it was either the horse goes now or he doesn't go. We're not going to get a farrier up in time to sort, sort out his foot. We can't get another slot for the plane when we want it. And um, it's either that, either call it all off now or send him over as a lame horse and sort it out when you have him. So I said, send. So I made the call to send him over, which wasn't easy. And um, probably a brave call, but um, so I send him on. We'll see when he gets over. So he came over and um, we got working on, he was quite lame. We got the we got the shoe sorted out, we got the shoe off, we got his foot in a bucket of water, and we had fomentation. And um, the first thing was to draw the soreness out of the foot. And um, from then on, we just had to work on it to try and get the, the foot right before we put his racing plate back on. That went on for about four hours. We, we notified the stewards. I notified the media, want to know what was going on, one of the favourites. Notified the media, notified the stewards. The stewards had, a, had an official there watching every move we made, fully understand, I must say the lady was excellent, fully gave us, she gave us as much time as she could. Uh, the veterinarian was watching what we were doing and totally agreed with what we were doing. And um, anyway, it was time to put the shoe back on. And we we're very fortunate. Jim Bulger's excellent farrier was over and uh, he very kindly uh, supervised everything for us and helped us. And uh, he tacked the racing plate, a new racing plate back on. And um, the rest is probably history because the horse walked straight off, he sound as could be and he had to pass then obviously before he was allowed to race there was a veterinary check to see that he was correct and sound and uh, he trotted up and down perfectly sound and at this stage it was time to be saddled because he was the last horse to be saddled for that year's Epsom Derby and uh, went up to be saddled and he was perfectly sound but I said Pat then got up on the horse rode him down to start I said to Pat, if you have any doubt at the start, he is trotting out sound, he's perfectly sound, but if you have any doubts down at the start, it's your call. If you think you're not happy with him, withdraw him. But the rest is history. And uh, they complimented each other. Harazand is a very brave colt, very consistent horse, who went on then to win the Irish Derby for us three weeks later at the Curragh. But he put up an excellent performance at the Curra, or at, at both places, but at Epsom. Hit the front about two furlongs down, and I was always confident he was going to win because that combination of Harrison and Pat Smullen, they weren't going to get beaten when they hit the front. And how were the celebrations for yourself and Pat to finally achieve that? Oh, yeah, it was, it was um, you, you know, at the, at the given moment, you're... you're, you're it's really the feeling of a job well done, if you know what I mean. 
it's it's emotional excitement um, there's relief uh, there's tension excitement joy all mixed up in one happiness uh, contentment and know that we both achieved what both of us really wanted in horse racing that's fantastic if I could ask you to maybe share one other memory or anecdote or story of, yeah. that comes to mind with Pat. Yeah, I suppose we'd, he was the professional's professional, is the best way I can describe Pat Smullen. I've always said Pat was a highly intelligent individual, that it didn't matter what sphere of life that he went into, he was going to be successful. He happened to be a jockey and the best. But I'm quite sure, as I said, if he was in other spheres of life, he would have been equally successful uh, because of his intellect, because of his dedication to his job, uh, because of his loyalty, because of his kindness, and uh, because of his determination to succeed. Um, he, he was a very um, reserved, dignified, quiet person but don't underestimate him because there was a there was a will of steel inside Pat Smullen that only settled for victory beautifully put thank you very much Darren. many thanks to Dermot Weld and I also must thank Martina in the office there who was extremely helpful in a number of ways for this episode. Dermot there told us how Mick Canan helped Pat to get a job in Rosewell, and I was lucky enough to get a couple of minutes with Mick to ask him how that came about. Michael Canan, I believe you were instrumental in how Pat Smullen ended up having the job at Dermot Wells. Could you tell me a little bit about that? I suppose Pat and I became from time sort of Pat burst on the scene very young um, I sort of I, I took a huge liking to Pat and he always from day one sort of came to me for if he had any questions I always made myself available made him comfortable that he could come to me and ask anything he wanted you know so so we developed a nice relationship and become we became friends from early doors you know so I was happy to try and point him in the right direction and as a, as a rider, why did you feel he, he could do the job for Dermot? I knew he, I could see a lot of myself in him. His mental attitude, which was, you know, he, he wanted to be achieve, or he wanted to be good at what, at something that he was passionate about and loved. You know, and it's, uh, it's not something you can instill in somebody, uh, mm -hmm. that ambition or desire to be better or to be good at what you want to do. Um, and I could see a lot of myself in them, um, and yeah, uh, so I was happy to always to be there and, and be his friend. And he certainly didn't disappoint when he got the job. No, no, he did not. You know, like um, I had, uh, I had been with Dermot for f 15 years, and so I knew all the goods and the bad ins and outs of Dermot. <laughs> so I suppose Pat wanted to know how, how at how best to to develop his relationship off the back of m me turning into, which was initially tough, into a very good working relationship with Dermot. So 
he had a lot of questions and he, he, he hit the cross crossbar with Dermot a few times as you would. Um, but, you know, he, he, he developed a fantastic relationship with Dermot over the years and a very successful one. And from Pat's riding career, are there any particular highlights or standout rides or moments for you? I suppose him early doors, I suppose Grace Swallow winning the Irish mm -hmm. Derby for him was, you know, your first Irish Derby is huge when you're a local lad, you know, um, and it meant a lot to me. It, uh, it, I had won derbies everywhere around the world and, and couldn't win the Coro one that I was living <laughs> alongside, you know, so sometimes the one closest to you can be the hardest to to get and uh, you know it was a big it was a great milestone for him at that time that uh, you know and uh, for Dermot and for Gita got rest of to have uh, bred bred the horse uh, so it was a it was a big hometown victory and it was a sort of a really a common page I say for Pat. Mm. And then off the track if I could ask you is there any particular happy memory or moment or funny moment? We had some great times uh, off the track you know we you know we have a beer or I had a boat in the Shen and we had, he was on it with me a few times, a few of the lads, we had some great crack and it was all simple fun, like Pat was great company, mm. uh, he was funny, he's very droll, but he was funny, you know, so we just, we had great times, mm -hmm. we didn't have to do an awful lot to have a good time, if you were, if your company you are in, you're comfortable with it and you knew it, whatever happened off the track and it never went anywhere. Yeah, yeah, well, that's perfect Mick, thank you so much. What a pleasure to speak to Mick Canaan, one of the all-time greats. Now, I was reliably informed that another great jockey, Jamie Spencer, got to know Pat very well during their travels together, and Jamie was kind enough to tell me all about that. I suppose Pat would have been a couple of years ahead of me. Um, him and Ted Durkin, they were kind of a couple of years ahead of us, and this Franberry, Betty McDonough, Shane Kelly and I came probably started maybe two years after after Pat. Um, yes, obviously for the first few years, um, it was basically on, on the race course you'd see him or obviously he was living in Offaly and he'd come to the Curragh to, to to ride out and the odd time you get a lift with him from the apprentice school racing or whatnot. It was only really in, let's say, I first met Pat probably around 96, I'd say 97. Uh, it was only really around 2000, 2001 that I got very friendly with him just for the simple reason we ended up um he was in dubai and i was in dubai he was there for druba silver Atman, and he was up in jebel ali and i was in jamira so basically met most days trained every day together for for the winter and um you know, obviously got to know him more and more from then and and that, that was probably 2001, 2000, yeah, around, around that. And then 2002, we went to Hong Kong for the winter. Um, and obviously, got you know, well, you, you're, you're just there in a colony on your own. So basically, it was him and I uh, every day. And I yeah, became very friendly with him then. He's, and, you know, you could see the, the nature of the man then. And he was, you know, top, top man. Um, so it's not, it's not easy out there. And put this way, um, weren't breaking any records so it was it was it was a difficult uh, place to work but um he, he was a big support to me out there
on that note of travel, am, am I right in saying you would have spent a lot of time traveling the world together to, to many other big festivals? Yeah, that, probably Hong Kong was the, like literally, it was every day. You know, you, yeah. you, you were on the track in the morning at five o'clock um, or five 4.30. And then, you know, we'd, racing was on Wednesday and, and Sunday. So you basically, we exercised and lost weight together to get ready for each day. And... Yeah, pretty much there. Francis obviously used to come out. Francis was training at the time, so she used to come out. Um, you know, maybe I think it could be maybe once once a month or something like that. So basically, it was every day together. So you got to, I got to know him really well there. Probably the, the I knew him the best from from Hong Kong, and remained friends all along after after that. And yeah, he's obviously travelled the world, and you know, obviously every year he did Dubai, and America. And, Australian, you kind of always kind of, you, you know, everyone kind of stick together because the people you, you knew. So he was, no, he's, oh, he's a great man. Um, but even when whether it was the wrong thing for him, he always did the right thing. So that's the best way of describing him. You know, he, he, he you know, he, he did the right thing always, and he was just a fantastic man, and um, he's sorely missed. Very well said, Jamie. Um, a ride by path that stands out for many is uh, Free Eagle in the 2015 Prince of Wales. And unfortunately for you, you were on the wrong side of a photo finish that day. Uh, could you talk us through that particular race? Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't a fun memory for me or a fun, <laughs> fun day at the time. But um, yeah, Pat, he was on a horse that had, had had a long time off and was having his first run of the season. And I think it epitomized him as a jockey he was able to get into a position to control the race that fitness and stamina didn't come into play he got up into second held the whole field up and when he turned for home pat waited for that probably good half a furlong and before kicking and he just he had he had his all i was i was behind him so i couldn't go, i couldn't do anything and pat was basically he was he was playing the music and we were dancing to his tune and he basically kicked at the right time on a, on a good good horse and he held on and beat me a short head can't say what I said to him after the line, but um, looking back at it now, Pat uh, won that one. <laughs> I'm sure you remained friends despite whatever yeah. it was you said after the line. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, absolutely. He's, um, he's a fantastic jockey, um, very consistent, um, ruthless on the race course. You, you know, there's no, there was no easy passage with Pat Smullen. You know, it was he was out there to do his job, and. You'd, you'd know you'd been in a finish with him, or you'd know you'd if you were fighting for a gap, you, you knew you'd, you'd fought for it. So he's he very um, focused and let's say ruthless is probably the wrong word, uh, but just just driven. You know, he knew what he wanted, and he was well. The results show, showed it for himself. Yeah, absolutely, Jamie. You spoke you've spoken fantastically there about Pat. I just want to give you the opportunity to share maybe one other happy memory or story about Pat. Yeah, you might be willing to share with us. We are at the Breeders' Cup, which is a long time ago, and um, basically Pat came out of the airport, and um, for some reason there was a limousine there, and he, it was a mistaken identity anyway, so Pat, Richard Hughes and I had this limousine for about a day and a half, and we thought, geez, Arlington have put on this great show, they've given us this car, and the, the next thing, uh, for day two, Richard Hughes got a bill for... It was fairly big about mountain he's getting out of it. And uh, we had to go back to Pat to fix it anyway. So he, he sorted it all out. But um, there's more to the story, but it's probably better off. I better not say anymore. 
<laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed your couple of days in the limo, at least. <laughs> yeah, we did, we did. I know, listen, that, that was fantastic. He had an infectious laugh. Um, he was kind to everyone, so didn't suffer fools, but um, anyone that crossed his path and spent time with him, geez, if, if, you're, if, any, if, my, if my son grew up to be like Pat Smullen, you'd, you'd be happy. I think that's a fantastic uh, sentence to end on, Jamie. Jamie, thank you so much for giving me your time. Uh, you sp- you've spoken brilliantly and it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. My thanks again to Jamie. Now, most listeners will remember the race Pat organised on Champions Weekend 2019 to raise funds for Cancer Trials Ireland. It was a huge success and an incredible day at the Curra so I was keen to speak to one of the riders in the race about it. And thankfully, previous guest on this show, Ruby Walsh, was happy to oblige. Ruby Walsh, as a former jockey and now analyst, how would you sum up Pat Smullen as a jockey? I'm not going to sum up any differently to anybody else. I'd say Pat Smullen was a world-class rider, but I think Pat's strongest trait was the was how few mistakes he made. Pat was incredibly consistent, um, tactically very aware, very, very strong, but it was just how few mistakes he made. He was always, I knew him from, from very young in his career, but it was the improvement he made. Um, he was always a little older than me, but it was just how consistent he got and how he, when Mick Canaan went and Johnny Murta retired after that, how dominant he became in Ireland. He seemed to be pulling the strings in every race he rode in. And is there one particular ride by Pat that, that stands out for you? Oh, sure, there was loads. And like most people, you tend to remember the better ones. Um, and, you know, I can remember him winning, winning the Abbey on Ben Bond. Um, that I thought he was brilliant in the Irish Oaks on Covert Love. But I think the one that I remember looking at, I think, and wow, was fascinating rock in the Champions Stakes in, in Newmarket. I thought he was... He was unreal that day. He was brilliant on on right of passage in the Gold Cup. Um, obviously refused to bend one of guineas, but I, I thought fascinating rock in the Champion Stakes was one that won, but mightn't necessarily have deserved it. Well put. And we'd we'd be all day discussing some uh, some of his great rides down the years, but off the track, is there is there a particular happy memory of Pat that you look look back fondly on that you could share with us? Oh, sure, I had great times with him. Um, different places, different days, different stories. Um, late nights, early mornings maybe. But uh, yeah, no, I had great times. I went, myself and Gillian were lucky enough to go to Hong Kong with him when he rode Ben Bond. Um, Pat and Francis went, um, myself and Gillian went as well. And um, we had some we had some really good fun in Ben in, in, in Hong Kong with him. But Pat was, Pat was very entertaining, incredibly dedicated, but he, he knew how to, to, to live as well. And um, he, he was able, when the time permitted, uh, he was able to party. Okay, good to hear. And finally, Ruby, you announced your retirement in May 2019, but I reckon if there was, if there was anyone who could coax you out of retirement for one last ride, uh, it was Pat Smullen. Yeah, and funnily enough, um, I kind of pl- retired with the thought that, no, I wouldn't ever ride again, but... We obviously, I was good friends with Pat and I knew him for a very long time. And we were in Ascot in the car park in Ascot only a couple of weeks after I'd retired. And Pat was 
uh, obviously undergoing treatment for cancer, but he had gotten some good news and we were standing in the car park in Ascot and he said that he was going to have a race on Champions Weekend and that he wanted to raise a considerable amount of money for pancreatic research. And he asked me, would I ride in it? Now, I didn't need to think. To me, it was it was a done deal. And, you know, he, he AP was there and he asked AP as well. And Tosin was a no-brainer. And it was the way he phrased, the way he phrased it. It was, Pat didn't do anything without thinking about it and making sure whatever he was doing was going to be the best. And the way he created that race, framed that race, and the amount of money that he raised through that race just showed you the thought, consideration, and I think attitude Pat had to things and the amount of people that came out of all walks of life and from all corners of the world to financially donate and back what Pat was doing and the amount of money that he managed to raise, I think that just shows you the measure of demand that Pat Smullen was. Absolutely, very well put. The day itself, the atmosphere at the Curra seemed to be just incredible. Yeah, it was. And I suppose when the race was announced in Galway, I knew that, that, that Pat was sick again and that he wouldn't be partaking. And, you know, that was, I suppose, a little bit of the, the downside of the day. You knew he was ill again and he, he, was, he was fighting the cancer again. But, yeah, it was an incredible atmosphere. But to me, you were walking out behind Pat Smullen and you kind of hoped he'd have been walking out with you. Um, you know, and obviously Hannah and Paddy and Sarah were there, Francis was with him, and it was an incredible day. And it's, you know, we often blame the weather for small attendances and people not turning up. It was last year rain that day, and everybody stood outside to watch and wait and anticipate what was happening. And, yeah, it, it was a great atmosphere, and it was, it was good fun, but it was for was for the man and it was all about Pat and great for Pat to arrange for AP to beat you in the finish one last time as well yeah <laughs> yeah spectacular um, absolutely perfect um, should have known that was coming but um, yeah look the race itself looks sure I suppose we all wanted it to be a spectacle and yeah AP was probably more hung- hungrier than the rest of us um, and had to win but that, that that's just him but I to me, and it's a funny one, the race was almost the reason, was only the reason to celebrate Pat, to celebrate what Pat Smullen had done for racing, to allow him to uh, fulfil a desire to raise money for pancreatic awareness. To me, the race was almost the sideshow. It was just something that the whole event was hung on, but it was about people appreciating Pat and getting to cheer Pat and, you know, raise money for what Pat Smullen wanted. And that was the success of the day. Maybe there had to be an event to make it happen, but and that was the race, but the race was, it was the sideshow in my eyes. I think it's a day that will live long in the memory of, uh, of everyone who was there. So, Ruby Walsh, thanks so much for giving me your time to talk about Pat. Uh, enjoyed hearing you tell some of those stories, and uh, yeah, great to hear from you. Thank you very much. Cheers, Mark. Many thanks to Ruby Walsh. Excellent, as always. And from one previous guest on the show to another, Kevin O'Ryan was an extremely close friend of Pat's, as well as being his agent. And despite Kevin being the busiest man in Irish racing, 
he was very generous with his time and telling me a little bit more about their friendship. Kevin O'Ryan, um, you met Pat Smullen in Dermot Wells over 20 years ago now, but I reckon it's safe to say you couldn't have possibly predicted the impact he would go on to have on your life. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Mark. Uh, Pat was rough. He was uh, Dermot's stable jockey. He was into year two, actually. And uh, I arrived in Dermot Wells, a stable amateur, in 1999, the Monday of the Punchestown Festival. And, you know, I didn't know Pat. I knew to see him in the way room. But that was about it, really. Pass him hello, and that was it. We never had any interaction, and I don't know what it was. We just uh, we just clicked, you know. You get two lads there, you just click straight away. Don't ask me why. We just became friends. There was always great banter in Dermot Wells, or Raymond Carroll, and Benji Coogan, and Paddy McLaughlin's, and all that crew. And I don't know Pat was always involved in it as well. The slagging and laugh in the morning, and we just two like-minded fellas, I suppose. And we just got uh, we just got friendly, and Pat was always great for advice. Obviously, I was writing a lot for Dermot as his amateur at the time, and obviously you'd ask Pat about the horses and you know what way to ride them, and Pat was always to the bottom, uh, always on the money, and rarely would he put you wrong. And I got going riding when I was basically in Dermot, and. Pat was going out with Francis, uh, Francis Crowley, and uh, Brian Crowley was her stable amateur. And probably towards the end of the summer, beginning of the autumn, Brian Crowley actually went to Venetia Williams and turned professional. And Francis was looking for an amateur. So before Pat went to Dubai, he said to me, look, he said, I don't know if you have any interest in this, he said, but uh, if you went down to Francis one day a week, uh, to ride out for you'll ride the bumper horses and Francis Crowley's job for an amateur at the time was one of the best jobs in the country so I said Pat are you mad I said of course I'll go down I said and uh, I go down twice a week so I used to ride out five days a week in Dermot and uh, two days a week in Francis so Pat uh, Pat obviously went off to Dubai I started riding the bumper horses for Francis then Francis' sister Angela who'd been away in Australia for two years came back home went back uh, to the home place to become Francis' assistant and anyway I sure I got to know Angela only a small bit really because I was only there probably a month I'd imagine and uh, broke my two collarbones first day of the millennium uh, New Year's Day in Tremor in a bumper so obviously I was knocked out of action for a while so came back anyway and uh, Pat was just coming back from Dubai say middle of February time and just myself and Angela obviously clicked as well and Pat said to me one day he says uh, here he says if you play your cards right he said he said uh, you know yourself and Angela could end up together and uh, as I say as I've always said Pat got me a job and he got me a wife as well and so <laughs> we're married we're married 15, 16, 16 years now at this stage, but uh, that's how it all began. And I don't know, we just became just became great friends. Uh, Pat and Francis were living in Carlo at the time, and uh, that's where the meeting point was. It was halfway between, obviously, Pat's job in Dermot's so on the Curra and uh, the hill down in, in Pilltown, where Francis was training from. So we had some great nights in, in Carlo. Ruby Walsh was living there at the time, great friend of ours as well. Ian Busty Ammond, who, of course, is one of Gordon Elliott's assistants. Uh, Niall Bubba Ammond, of course, who was the travelling headman for 
Jessica Harrington, Pat Shanahan was actually living with Pat Smullen at the time as well. And they were some brilliant nights, brilliant times. We used to go for dinner, many's a night in the uh, the foundry late at night in the foundry bar. We'd write the wrongs of the world. And, uh, <laughs> uh, we used to have, we used to have great crack, great fun days you'll never forget. Great time of our lives. And obviously we 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 weren't married. We'd no kids and. Uh, you know, just things were things were great, and uh, obviously Pat married Francis. I married Angela. I was coming to the end of I was coming to the end of uh, riding. Uh, weight was gone. Bottle was gone. I'd written out my claim. It was time to uh, not uh, never had much of a bottle in the first place, but uh, it was time to t- think of you know growing up a little bit and planning for the future. Obviously, it was planning and. Uh, hoping Angela would say yes uh, Francis' sister and I did ask her to marry me eventually uh, so Pat had been on to me for nearly a year really, uh, to see would I become his agent and I thought oh you know when you're when you're asked to do something new you kind of start doubting yourself and Pat was what <coughs> excuse me as a champion jockey once maybe he was definitely once anyway at this time and I thought, oh, I'm not capable of doing this. This is too big now. I'm going to be dealing with a totally different machine altogether. You know, this is on the brink of becoming a top-class international rider. Uh, I don't know if I have the experience or if I have the ability to do it. And that's one thing about Pat Smullen. Pat Smullen instilled confidence and wanted to give people a chance. And so after a year, probably, I eventually, the first night Pat said it, we were over a couple of drinks some night, and I thought, yeah, Grant, sure, that'll be forgotten about, hmm. a couple of pints of beer, and uh, that's the drink talking, but he kept on and on and on about it, and eventually, I think it was, was it around 2003, I think, maybe 2004, uh, I said, why not, we'll give it a go, and that's, that's how it all started, really. So Pat and Michael Hussey, they were the first two. And uh, away we went. Dermot was very keen for it as well because uh, obviously I'd worked for Dermot for, what, seven and a half years. And obviously Pat had to run it through him as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually remember Pat Spullen saying it to me. He went into Dermot. He said, look, I want Kevin O'Ryan to be my agent. And Dermot says, uh, do you think he's enough experience? And uh, he, do- he doesn't have any experience. And Pat said, I know he doesn't, but I full faith in him. And Dermot Wells said, well, if you full faith in him, I full faith in him. So that was a great vote of confidence from Pat, who was, what, he was only in his, he must have been, what, 23 or 4 at the time as well. There was six months between us. Pat was, what, six months older than me. And uh, so that's how it all started. And the fella says the rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history indeed. And I think anyone anyone who heard, who hears you tell that tell that story, Kevin, will will learn a lot about Pat. So thank you for sharing it. Um, in the saddle after you became his agent, were there any particular rides or one particular ride that stands out in your mind as being a being a particularly good one? Ah, uh, there's so many, Mark. Mm. Uh, so many. Uh, I'll tell you one that one that really stands out to me was. Robert Love. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he obviously won the Oaks 
on Covert Love, one of the part owners, a friend of ours, Mark McStay. And I remember Mark ringing me probably, what, three, four weeks before the Irish Oaks. And Hugo Palmer, I think it was Hugo's first year with a license, maybe second season of the license. And he said, look, he said, Dermot is nothing in the Oaks. He said, we're thinking about, I'm nearly certain he supplemented her as well. And he said, we've a smart filly. She needs to improve. But I think there's more improvement to come. And we'd love Pat Smullen to ride this filly. So spoke to Pat about it. And uh, Pat said, yeah, why not? Let's ride her. Let's roll the dice. And uh, it was a brilliant ride that day at the Oaks. And one thing about Pat Smullen, Pat Smullen, there's so many qualities about Pat. But one thing was loyalty and his word. His word is his bond. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you don't have a good name, you have nothing. And if Pat said he'd ride a horse, very, very rarely, unless in exceptional circumstance, would he get off it. And it taught me a lot as well regarding booking the jockeys with all the team I have now and that. Uh, and I think people will respect you and trust you a little bit more as well, that you're not going to mess them around. Yeah, absolutely. So Pat, anyway, rode Colbert Love that day. Brilliant ride up the Curra. She was, I think, eight, nine to one shot. They were quietly fancy did a big run, and she ended up coming and winning. So Pat then rode her, I think, in the Yorkshire Oaks, just got beat, and then she ran in the Prix de l'Opera, and that, for me, was a brilliant ride. Dropping back to, what, a little under, about a mile, one and a half furlongs, I think it was, mm-hmm. Prix de l'Opera. And obviously she'd won an Irish Oaks, and Pat made plenty of use of her. Sent her on, I think, two and a half, three down at the Curra that day. She kept fine, and she was an improving filly. So Pat, he bounced out in the Prix de l'Opera. Obviously, we know the French style of racing. There's never that much confirmed pace. They like to steady it up quick and up, steady it up again. And Pat was a genius from the front. He was your all-round rider. He could do anything. He could drop one right out. He could make the running. That's the, how you define the great riders. But when he got, when he made the running, he was very, very hard to be. Brilliant clock in his head. So he's bounced out in covert love. He steadied it up, he's crept, 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 built up, built it up, got into a lovely rhythm. And next thing, I think it was around two and a half, three down, he's kicked. And Frankie's following him, I think it was Jazzy Top. Mm-hmm. And next thing, Frankie, you think how far Frankie's going to win. And I think inside the furlong, Paul, Frankie has actually headed Pat on Jazzy Top down the outside. And Pat just kept finding the benefit of the rail. Uh, Frankie's one off the rail on his outside and he's just got back up and he's beaten Jazzy Top and he virtually made all bar for a brief moment and Frankie headed him but it was a brilliant brilliant ride and I think that was what 2015 uh, but that to me was one of one of many of Pat's standout rides it's not one of the most obvious ones people go on about Harzan and Grey Swallow and Vinnie Rose dressed in Trill in America refused to bend in the English skinnings they were all brilliant rides but just Covert Love, I just thought in the Prix de l'Opera was a magical ride. And Muhannik as well in the Breeders' Cup Marathon for a lot of people forget about him. Uh, he won for Rafe Beckett and Pat got a great, great kick out of Muhannik. And I'm nearly certain it was Pat's first Breeders' Cup winner. I'm nearly okay. certain. But uh, that was a wonderful ride as well. And a lot of people have forgotten about Muhannik. But he was, he was a brilliant rider. And as I said, brilliant riders are defined that they can do anything. They can ride a race anyway. The brilliant clock, 
knew the fractions inside out, knew the tracks inside out. His attention to detail was second to none and put a lot of thought into races, how they would turn out, how they would be ridden. Knew his opposition as well. Now we were involved in a few two-year-olds and this just goes to show what a brilliant judge he was and took everything in. We were involved with my brother Mouse set up a syndicate, so two-year-olds at Gordon Elliott a few years ago. Beckford was one of them. And uh, Pat Road, we brought, I think, eight of them to the Curl one morning. And uh, Pat Road, one of them. Pat sat probably third. They came up in two bunches. And Pat, not only could he tell you about the, his own horse that he rode, but he was able to tell us about the seven others in the piece of work. And I remember Gordon Elliott and my brother Mouse and that, that day and the owners going, my God, that's why he's so good. Because not only could he tell him about the, the one horse he rode, the two-year-old, he was able to tell him about the seven others in that piece of work. He watched everything, was always aware. Very, very intelligent guy. Hugely intelligent guy. Yeah, it certainly seems so. It's a theme I've noticed from speaking to people for this, not just his ability, how intelligent he was, and also as a jockey, and as you were saying, any tactics, any style, even any country, Pat would go and deliver. Oh, big time. And Pat was always, he was absolutely obsessed with American racing. Pat would sit at night and watch the American racing on the mm. racing channels. And it, one of his heroes, obviously his main hero is Mick Canaan, but one of his great heroes growing up was Cash Asmussen. Mm-hmm. and he loved Johnny Velasquez and he just loved the way the American jockeys rode and how they had the clock in their head, how they got the fraction spot on. And he used to love going over and riding in America. He'd probably go over three, four times a year for Dermot because, uh, as you know, Dermot loves selling horses over to the States and that. And Pat used to really try even going riding in the States. And he rode all around the world. He rode in Japan, he rode in Hong Kong, Dubai. Uh, you name it, Pat Rode in it, but he, in, as Pat said, the big days internationally, that's when you had to prove yourself because you were taking on the best riders in the world. And he certainly, his record shows he certainly certainly proved himself on a number of occasions. Um, oh, yeah. Finally, Kevin, you've been very good at sharing, sharing those stories there. I'm wondering if I can get one more out here, potentially something from off the track, something, a happy memory or a... Uh, a funny story or something you can, that comes to mind when you think about Pat oh Jesus uh, I actually think about Pat every day uh, and he used to love a bit of gossip was always great for a crack as well yeah, am I right Am I right in saying you, you gossiped on the phone quite a lot the two of you and the wives the wives said uh, you spoke to each other more than you spoke to them yeah that's actually 100% right like we'd speak what, five, six could even speak seven times a day and both Angela and Francis, they'd always say they caught up with the news by earwigging uh, to myself and Pat's uh, phone calls. And uh, but that's how close we were. You know, like Pat, Pat was like my second brother. And I don't know, we were just two like-minded guys. And he was a great man for advice. And, and even now, today, like a year on, I'd say, right, if, it was in a, if I had a bit of a, an issue or something to sort out, what would Smullen say? Or how would Smullen... Uh, advise you to do X, Y, and Z, you know. Mm. And uh, obviously, towards the end, when obviously when he got sick, uh, Pat got. I asked Pat to look after all my guys, the younger crew coming along, the likes of Ben Cohen, Andy Slattery, Ushie Noor, the Cross Brothers, and that Shane and Nathan, and a couple of the other apprentices. And he got a great kick out of that. Mm. And he was a massive, massive fan of Andy Slattery and Ben Cohen and Shane Cross. 
and I think Pat will be very proud in what the lads have achieved now at this stage and he used to get great he was a great man to help the younger crew coming along go through races with them you know how to ride a track and whatever he's just a brilliant brilliant tactician but most of all he was a great fella but stories there's so many funny stories now Mark there's actually a stupid funny story actually in Hong Kong a few years ago Pat was asked to go and ride an international rider series Happy Valley on a Wednesday night and uh, international jockeys challenge so he rode on the Wednesday night uh, we were only there for what four days I think it was and we were coming we came back the day before the big international meeting and shot in on the Sunday so we all go out that night great crew it was all the guys who rode and uh, a couple of the trainers and we great banter and we're, we went into a couple of the pubs and that and Lang Kwai Fong Fast Eddies was it was that name I can't think of it I think it was Fast Eddies but anyway Pat's great way of when he and we were staying in a room together do you know Mm-hmm. so Pat anyway gets to the stage and he'd always when he got to the stage he just get into his head he wanted to go home yeah. so as he was going home one of his great things anytime I was out with him he'd shout back tell Orion I'm going home <laughs> so he get, he'd get into a taxi he'd be gone so anyway we're having the crack and great fun I'll never forget there was a South African writer I can't remember his name but uh, bling is what his nickname was for obvious reasons he had more gold bracelets and watches and you name it changed the whole lot on him and I promise you I've never seen a guy break dance like this guy uh, Michael Jackson wouldn't have got a look in <laughs> so he entertained us for the night with great fun but anyway having gone back to the, the room and of course I kept going so I had it in my head next morning, right, I have to go down to, I was always obsessed with Hong Kong, wanted to see it, wanted to go down and see track work at Shatin and the race course the next morning. Mm-hmm. So came back into the room, both used to go very early in the morning. So came back into the room, took the suit off, hung it up, put it in, into the wardrobe, threw the jeans on me so the bed wasn't slept in or anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So I got into the bus, sure enough, and I'm only five, ten minutes in the bus to start at the dawn. I mean, maybe this isn't such a great thing. Idea. But I'd forgotten to put my phone back, take it off silent, and Chopin hadn't a clue where I was. So I'm down watching the work and met Neil Callan, who I went to school with. He was obviously still writing over there at the time. Met quite a few people that morning. Eddie Lyman was with us as well. He was running Soul Power, I think, in the international meeting. So... I'd forgotten all about Pat and you can just imagine now a couple of hours in no sleep and the beer is starting to wear off and I just feel a little bit sorry for myself now and saying this might have been such a good idea but anyway hence I didn't realise that my battery had gone dead in my phone so eventually I said geez I better ring Pat rang Pat anyway and uh, off someone else's phone and I says well this is me and he just went absolutely do lolly. Sigh of relief, he said. I'm not even going to mention it because you'll need a few, uh, you'll need a few beeps. He said, I woke up. He said, I look across in the bed, and he says, there's no sign of you. The bed hasn't been slept on. Uh, Francis is ringing Pat to see how we got on and it'll be a good night and how did Kevin get on and Pat has said, yeah, grand, yeah, he's still there in bed. Yeah. And he said, this guy could have been murdered. He could have fallen into the, the. He could have fallen over the bridge. He could have been kidnapped. He said, "I don't know where he is. I couldn't get him on the phone." 
when I turned the phone back on when it charged up, there was 25 missed calls from Pat Smullen and around six different uh, voice messages. And the sound of panic in his voice because he said, I hadn't a clue what had happened to you. But uh, a stupid story, but something a little bit different. But we had some great days and some great times and uh, and brilliant memories, you know. There was some, and we used to have a great crew as well. Decky McDonough, Fran Berry, Kevin Manning. Uh, like-minded lads, who used to have a good time. Mm. Kevin, that, I, I really, I loved, I loved that story. I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for sharing it. And that's it. Thanks, thanks so much for sharing all, all of that with me. Um, really enjoyed talking to you. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure, Kevin. Thanks a million. My thanks to Kevin yet again. You'll have heard Kevin mention Pat's friendship with Fran Berry, Kevin Manning and Declan McDonough. So I'm delighted to say that you are now going to hear from all three of those men in that order. So before we play my chat with Fran Berry, I just want to say a special thanks to him for all of his help in making this episode. Fran went way above and beyond in his help to me in suggesting contributors to the episode and putting me in touch with a number of them. Uh, it's a measure of the man and it's really appreciated. So let's hear from him now. In a conversation, I started by asking him how his friendship with Pat began. Uh, Mark, it's probably like a lot of lot of relationships end up being uh, more than what you'd ever think. Uh, when I started off, Pat was three years maybe ahead of me and he's well on his way he's riding for Tommy Stack uh, he just won a mile there in Tarascon and he was involved in John Ox's but he was heading on to the Durham Well job if you like whenever Mick Canan was going to take that leap to Bally Doyle and uh, you know for the first two or three years we actually had plenty of run-ins uh, you know on the track and uh, uh, Pat was obviously based in Road and then he was based in Carlo and uh, we didn't really mix much or anything but we got started to get on quite well in the wear room, despite a few altercations, if you like, initially, and uh, a few banging the heads, which you do get anyway. But uh, we kind of went through a phase. You, you often go through a phase when you're riding that if you're going to get a bit of hassle in a race, it tends to be the one rider for a month. For whatever reason, you just end up can't get out of each other's way and you're knocking each other down. So we'd run at that. And uh, uh, we're walking out in after Fairy House one day and uh, Fairy House has been redone. The original, the new way room wasn't there then. So it was the old Hope building down the end. And uh, I think we got wrapped up in each other and we were making shapes at each other and, you know, giving each other a shoulder and everything. And anyway, I came down to the crunch. <laughs> crunch we're, we're not very hard men anyway. So we both walked away and left it at that. So <laughs> laughed about it afterwards. But uh, uh, yeah, so that's kind of how we first started to get to know each other a bit. And uh, then when Pat and uh, Francis moved up to Corro and Francis went training in Clifton Lodge, obviously I'm in Kilcullen and riding the car, rode on the car mainly that uh, we just started to travel racing together a good bit more. And um, we ended up, everyone's on about mental health now and everything that goes with that. But unknown to us, um, we ended up with a great support network. We would uh, Pat, Kevin Manning, Declan McDonough, myself, and Niall McCullough might jump in with us as well. And we take turns driving. I had a good friend of mine, Tommy O'Connor. Uh, they used to drive us quite a bit as well. And, uh, you know, we we literally travelled the length and breadth of the country for years. And, uh, you know, whatever happened on the track, we'd often be in Stuart's inquiries 
half fall out in the way room, tell each other what exactly we, we were into the car and uh, 10 minutes down the road, we're laughing about it, you know. So it's a, uh, so it, it really developed into a big support network uh, that way professionally. And uh, obviously the friendship, uh, you know, grew from there with all of us. And uh, we had some magical times, like, you know, going to Ballinrobe on a Monday, uh, if you did day off on the way back, you know, you could just kick back a bit and, uh, you know, it's, um, it was it was the best of times and Dundalk um at the end of the year you know the Friday nights there you wouldn't be riding for a week we'd we'd often stop in and have a Chinese and end the year and have a few beers and have a laugh and uh, you know it was it was it was when you look back at it now it was magical times and uh, you know it's hard to believe that he's gone but uh, yeah just living lo- living locally really is where it all developed from and uh, then he moved a mile down the road for me for a year and uh, yeah became quite close and. Uh, you know, obviously, when he moved to road, it was still the same setup with uh, going racing. But uh, no, it was, it was really, really special times when you look back on it. I love that uh, kind of unknowing group therapy you developed with lads there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, there's so much thing about mental health, and uh, I'd hate to be a young riders starting off now with the social media aspect of every ride being analysed. Should it be beaten? Um, we, we were at a later stage in our career when Twitter and that came out. So we used to just type each other's names into Twitter and read out what they were saying about each other. So it used to be good fun and it was no holds barred. So if you're having a crap day and things didn't plan out and you're after ringing the boss or whoever you got to ring and got that out of the way, then 20 minutes down the road, uh, this guy said X about you on Twitter what, you know, or whatever. So like we were at a stage where we could take that kind of, uh, we'd look at the brighter side of it and uh, yeah, sure. Look, you unknown to yourselves. It was it was a great support network and a great way of uh, bouncing off each other on the same scenarios. And you know, even though we're big rivals, and uh, Kevin would be texting his agent Kevin O'Ryan to get him on a horse. I'd be texting my agent Kieran O'Toole, and we wouldn't be saying anything to each other, even though we know we're both trying to get on it. And uh, there was that kind of an undercurrent too. But uh, you know, we we accepted that was part of the game on that aspect of it. But then you know. Mick Canan had a great saying, um, yeah, you got to separate the personal and the professional. And if you take things personally against the other professionals, you're going to struggle to keep <laughs> to keep talking to anybody in, in writing. You know, it's such a, you know, such an up and down business. And uh, I think I think we worked out uh, out well between the whole lot of us. Yeah, sounds great. And uh, so you mentioned that personal and professional. Uh, Pat, uh, Pat obviously was a fierce rival on the track. Were you involved in many close finishes with him or photo finishes? Uh, a lot, um, a lot. We fought out championships. I was running up to my think three or four years in a row, maybe or something like that, or at least. And uh, I, he was just such a determined rider. Uh, I don't think he gave himself the credit that he he uh, should have done. I think when you know in the later years of his career, he probably became a believer, if that makes sense, in that he was starting to ride for the big UK stables. They were offering him jobs. You know, there was talk of the Abdullah job at one point. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, winning on Snow Sky, I think it was, in Ride Ascot, you know, and uh, obviously winning in Ride Ascot for Dermot on um, uh, Lone Eagle, wasn't it? Or, yeah, Free Eagle. Uh, Free Eagle, excuse me, yeah. Days, days like that in the last four or five years of his career, you know, put him on a different level and took him outside of the Irish bubble, if you like, in some respects. And, uh, you know, to win in Harrison, I was, I was in England at the time. And, uh, you know, I knew just to win in Harrison, win the Derby, that was the ultimate for him. Yeah, yeah. And is there a standout ride for you? It doesn't necessarily have to be the biggest day, or is there, is there a ride for you that typified him as, as a rider? Um, 
how could you pick out one? I suppose the way you'd, you'd pick it out, and it was a trade of Mick Canans as well. Um, and that's where Pat got his inspiration from. Pat was modeled everything on Mick Canan, and as in, you know, how to conduct yourself, how to deal with people, how to ride. You know, that he was the benchmark, if you like, I suppose, for everyone in, a, in of our generation. But uh, Pat was understudied him and seen it from quite close up in the early days. And, uh, you know, I think Pat and Ballon Robin one day was as good or if not better than Pat on a Saturday, you know, he made such a difference around the country tracks. And uh, if he was taking a riding fee from you, whether you're uh, Mark Walsh with one horse or Dermot Well with 150 horses, you were getting, you were getting your money's worth out of Pat Smullen. And uh, it wasn't just a uh, uh, riding ability and it, tactically how strong he was and how good he was around the sharp tracks in Ireland, but it was the, value you got how him on his feedback when he came in and the way he dealt with owners that's that was that was the thing about it as well it's very easy to go out and ride a horse but to conduct yourself with connections before and after the race he was a master of that and uh, I think the smallest trainers to the biggest trainers really appreciated that and it just days it never really always goes to plan and you get beat more than you lose more than you win and uh, he he had that down to a tee he never forgot his roots he started small and uh, that stood to him all the way through his career and finally, as you know, I'm looking to collect a few more happy stories or memories about Pat. It can be off the track, on the track, on a getting a Chinese in Dundalk. Um, <laughs> is there one that might spring to mind that you'd, you'd be happy to share with us? Uh, God, where do you start? Um, it wasn't it wasn't funny at the time, but it was kind. Of, it, it, we 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 done nothing but laugh about it over the years. Um, Ballon Robe one day there was a mixed race card and we had a bit of a drought and the ground was very fast and typical as these things work the heavens opened an hour before the first race and uh, anybody knows Ballon Robe knows that it's a very sharp track you know they're not bends they're corners so you're going out there knowing this is going to, going to be like a skating rink and sure enough uh, a couple of fallers went down the first race Pat being one of them and they decided to run the second race, which shouldn't have happened anyway. It was yeah, and, and there was another faller. So big stewards inquiry racing was called off as it should have been. But as a consequence, uh, the jumping half of the community had arrived down and were given out that racing shouldn't have been, shouldn't, shouldn't, should have went ahead. And um, that's one of the biggest innovations and good moves in Irish racing that save for say Galway or whatever, that there's no mixed meetings because you can't please everybody on a day but hey uh, so we're inside Pat had stood down after the first race but he did attend the stewards inquiry just as he was asked to do so we all got changed and um Pat, as is Pat uh, got upright seized the car and marched out and just he's going out the door went Pat uh, and he, he didn't hear me anyway so he went out to basically a, a baying blood of people that uh, were calling him a cowardly lad and why why why'd you call racing off and you know windy flat jockeys and all the usual so <laughs> as that was erupted myself and Declan McDonough snuck out the back door walked up the home straight in in, in Ballon Robe and uh, we met about 15 minutes later Pat arrived into the car and wasn't uh, wasn't too happy with us and uh, but he, he'd, he'd stepped outside the door just as as we got to, as we seen what was going on and uh yeah, he took he took a real bit of stick for that unnecessarily, but uh, again, an hour down the road, and again, it, it was something that kept cropping up for years. That uh, oh yeah, the two lads had my back all right as they walked up <laughs> walked up the home straight in Ballon Robe. So that that was one that uh, it, it was uh, quite 
not so funny at the time, but it's something we look back on and used to take the complete mick out of each other over, yeah. Brilliant. I really enjoyed that, Fran. Thanks very much for sharing that. And thanks for everything there. Um, great to talk to you. Uh, great insight about Pat. So really appreciate you giving me your time. Pleasure, Mark. Yeah, look forward to hearing the rest of the show. Kevin Manning, you're a, a longtime friend and colleague of Pat Smullins. Um, could you tell us how that friendship started and developed? Yeah, um, I think it was, from what I can remember, um, I wrote, wrote a, a filly in, in uh, Listolos for Tom Lacey, and Pat was an apprentice there at the time. And just before he started riding, he was actually eating her up. And I popped up onto the filly, and anyway, we walked a, a circle around the page, and he flew me in on the filly, and so on. And um, actually told me she, she'd win the same day, and she did. Um and very short time later, he was riding riding horses as an apprentice for for Tom. And from that day on, I I, I, I met him in the stall and I uh, remembered him. And we just got on very well. And uh, as I say, when he when he turned up to start riding for for Tom, I know I know exactly who who he was. And um, we just clicked for whatever reason. And, and I was I was going very well. That's great. And I believe you soon came to travel to the races quite a lot together. Yeah, we used to travel together all the time myself. Uh, Fran when he was before he retired and and Peck uh, McDonough we used to we used to travel together all the time and um, yeah some fun memories of those there's some great great stories and we broke up the trips and um, some tough days in the car coming back to all race meetings and so on but it was always it was always left behind us and it was always good fun and good banter between us and uh, yeah there were there were some 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 great some great days. Fran Berry mentioned those those. Uh some of those journeys together may have worked as a form of almost group therapy, the four of you kind of chatting about what went on, and by the end of it, you were everyone was feeling a lot better about everything. Well, we both walked left the track feeling with our head between our legs more often than us, and by the time we were going halfway up the road, yapping and chatting between the between the whole office, you'd see how was right, you'd feel, you'd, feel, you'd feel an awful lot better. Yeah, certainly, I can imagine. On the track, is there any ride by Pat that kind of stands out to you in your mind as being a particularly good one? Oh, look, there are so many. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. You know, you, think you could spend all day talking. But, but the one that just keeps coming back to me, I think the reason it's, it's hard on the derby because, you know, he spoke to me about the derby for so many times, so many times, coming and going. Um, you know, that, that was a race that he really, really wanted to, wanted to win. And he found the time that he had a horse that's, that was possibly up to that, that standard. And... Um, even in Epsom that day, um, there was a little setback. The horse was, you know, so had some foot, foot bruising or some, mm-hmm. some issue with a, with a foot, and, and he wasn't a definite, a definite runner right, right up until the time he ran. And uh, I've been in the way over Pat, and you know, he was, he was just, he was, he was just anxious to everything that that that, that, that get getting started, and that this horse would, would would run because he really, really um, fancied him. And uh, I just was so pleased from that day because, as I say, it was a race he talked about for for. A long time, and I was racing. He really wanted to win, and I was, I was just, I was delighted for him just that it all worked out on the day because, um, you know, a short time before the race, he wasn't even a definite goer. Yeah, I can only imagine how how nice that was for you as, as a a long close friend of his to see him finally win that race that he he'd spoken about so often. Oh, I was. It was it was it was one race that you know, all the you know all the conversations we had and all the the races we talked about up and down. It was one race that just always kept popping up, and you know it was nice to break that ice and win it. And uh, yeah, it was a fantastic day for him. Yeah, absolutely. And then off the track, Kevin, I'm just looking looking to collect a few happy stories or, or funny memories. Is can you can you think of one off the top of your head involving Pat that you might be able to share with us? I can have loads of we loads of uh, happy times. 
you know, when we took days off racing, maybe a Sunday off or uh, so on, we, we, we met up for dinner many, you know, many occasions. But apart from that, we used to have some great times when, when the functions like, um, you know, his kids' communions or confirmations or whatever. And you'd always be invited and, and there'd always be great days out with the with Francis and the kids and themselves. And um, they were very memorable days. And um, likewise, Pat, you know, during, during the summer, maybe after racing, wherever he'd call in here and, Know, for a bite teaser or a barbecue or whatever and it's just that, that, those days I, I, I can remember very fondly you know yeah absolutely the, a running theme I've noticed from speaking to, to people for this is that Pat just seems to be fantastic company in any kind of situation you'd, you'd, you'd instantly he'd put you at ease and you'd, you'd, you'd always get a good chat with him yeah he was just he was, you know he, 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 could, he could talk about you know it wasn't just a case that you sit down and talk about racing there's a lot of interest in other things because mm. sit down and you could talk about many things and um as I say, you know, you, you could leave the races and or, or, or call in here, or I call in the path or whatever, and you didn't have to talk about racing. You could talk about many different things and uh, a very enjoyable person to sit down with and, and have a conversation. Well, that's a lovely note to end on, Kevin. So thank you so much for speaking to me. I really appreciate it. Not at all, Mark. Thank you very much. Declan McDonough. Yourself and Pat Smullen became close friends during your respective careers. Could you tell us how that friendship started and developed over the years? Yeah, I suppose um, one of my early my early years when I, when I started riding that um, Pat would have been uh, an apprentice at the time and uh, he would have been very approachable, you know, and I would have hit it off straight away. I actually remember my first ever ride that I ever had and Pat was one of the first guys to come up to me and ask me, was I okay for everything and did I have all the gear that I needed and all that type of thing. You know, he was he was quite uh, helpful that in that way. And, and then I suppose we just got close because we were in around the same sort of t- time, time, our careers sort of, he was three years ahead of me. So sort of went, went together, uh, you could say, you know. I'm sure it grew from there. But I noticed in 2006, uh, you beat Pat into second in the Jockeys Championship. How did he take that one? Yeah. Actually, yeah, I mean, that was a bit of a tussle, uh, uh, one easy hour in the end, but um, uh, no, Pat, Pat would never uh, hold any animosity at all, and uh, he, he was um, a good loser as well as a winner, you know, um, but yeah, that was a, a good memory for me. <laughs> I bet. From, from your point of view as a jockey, is there a ride by Pat that springs to mind as being one of his best? You know what, I, 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 I always, like, from chatting to him, he, Pat used to always love going to America and, and competing against the US boys. Um, I think he really got a good kick out of that. And they had, himself and Dermot had a lot of um, success when they when they crossed the pond, you know. And uh, he, Pat really got a kick out of riding the winners. I think I think Dermot's gone on record saying that the, the ride in the matriarch on Dress to Thrill, I think, in Hollywood Park, I think that, that was one that Pat really got a that that made made him feel 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 really good about that win. You know, she was it was a hell of a ride. I think you can, you can get it up on YouTube there. But uh, that was that was one that sticks out for me. Mm, that's interesting about the US stuff. Do you think maybe that was in the early days? They probably got a bit of a shock when Dermot Weld and Pat were going over winning winning some big races. Yeah, I, was, over there. I, I suppose Dermot knew. You know, before Pat got the job, Dermot, Dermot had experience in 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 America and he knew what what you needed and. And and uh, he trusted Pat to, to to carry out carry out the job, and uh, um, he he did it many many a time over there, be it in Arlington Park or, or Hollywood or in New York and uh, California. Pat 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 rode winners there everywhere, you know. 
Mm, no better man. Now, as you know, Declan, I'm trying to collect a few happy memories or stories about Pat. I'm wondering, yeah. have you have you got one in mind you might be willing to share with us? Oh yeah, there are many. There are many. I mean, a lot of them. A lot of them we couldn't we couldn't tell you. <laughs> they were liquid fueled, but uh, <laughs> but um, um, yeah, look, Pat enjoyed a good night out, and uh, we had many of them. I think there was one night uh, we were in Westport with friends and stayed up and. Uh, um, there was a band playing and we ended up get, getting up on stage and doing a duet. <laughs> I don't know if the crowd were that pleased now, but uh, Pat thought it was great and he performed well and Francis thought it was a, a brilliant performance too. So anyway, he, he, he was chuffed to bits about that. He wouldn't, be, wouldn't have been a singer, but um, yeah, he was really chuffed about that. Yeah, well, you say he, he wouldn't have been a singer, but I, I hear... Um, you and I are speaking at the moment just before Irish Champions Weekend, but I hear on Sunday at the Curra some race goers might be treated to, to, to your own singing. Is that right? Uh, well, we got together um, for, a, for a, um, to sing a song with the Newbridge Choir on um, Monday evening it was. Um, so I wouldn't say I, 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 I sang solo for, t- for two lines and Don O'Connor, who's an amazing singer as well. Um, so Francis asked me, would I, would I like to sing a line? And I said, absolutely, you know, in memory of Pat. And uh, that's, what I, that's what I did. And um, I'm, I'm sure he was having a chuckle uh, up up there. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're, I think you're doing yourself a disservice there. I've heard I've heard you're a very good singer. So uh, well, the racing public will, will know <laughs> by the time this comes out. So we'll find out. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's been lovely talking to you. Um, thanks very much for giving me your time and thanks for sharing that insight and those stories about Pat. I really enjoyed it. No problem, Mark. P- pleasure. Appreciate the call. Thank you to Fran, Kevin, and Declan there. And very shortly, you will get to hear Declan's solo in that lovely tribute to Pat from his colleagues and the Newbridge Gospel Choir. But before that, Gavin Lynch, as mentioned by Francis Crowley at the top of the show, is organising an event in Pat's memory to raise funds for Cancer Trials Ireland. It's a brilliant idea, and I thought it was only right to get him on the show to tell us a bit more about it. How are you, Mark? Um, So it began with... I suppose my mum and my late mum Olive passed away with pancreatic cancer and then um, 11 years ago, as we all know, last year, Pat unfortunately passed away with the same illness or disease. Uh, so I just was incredibly sad over Pat passing away, you know, as much as, as mum as well. But um, I just decided that it'd be a nice idea to raise some money for uh, Cancer Trials Ireland. Uh, that's the charity that Pat raised all the money for two years ago with the race in the Cora. So I just thought I'd do something. And I thought that uh, I started cycling the last year and a half myself because of COVID and I thought it'd be nice. I actually seen a program um, on racing TV a few years ago where two guys cycled around some of the courses in Yorkshire. Niall Hannity was one of them and there was a bookie uh, chap, what's his name? Michael Shinners, I think it was. And I just thought it'd be nice to cycle to some of the race courses. And I thought maybe it'd be a a nice small idea, but it certainly has grown legs and... uh, it's turned into a big event now. So, yeah, looking forward to it. It's on the 25th of September. Okay, that's fantastic, Evan. And on the 25th of September, what, what exactly is happening? So what we're doing is uh, we're doing a mad thing. We're starting in Lake Town Racecourse, and we're going then up the hill to Belliestown. So hopefully we can make it that far. And then we're going to Navin Ferry House. We're going on to My Glare Stud Farm, um, which I was, we all know that Pat rode for them for over 20 years. Then we're going to uh, Nace Punchestown. We go to Giltown Stud, which is owned by the Edgy Can, and we're getting a lovely picture with Harz and uh, the Pat won the Epsom Derby on the Derby Double, and then onto the Cora. So, in total, it's 155k. Uh, we're going to take seven or eight hours, but um, 
people, if they want, they don't have to do the whole lot. They can join us, for example, at Ferry House at half 11. They can join us at NACE at 2 o'clock. So if you go from NACE, it's 25K. Sorry, 30K from NACE, 25K from Punchestown. So um, if people look up Facebook, in the profile picture, there's the full, here it is here. It's the schedule for the day. And um, people can sign up on Cycling Ireland. And if they do, then I'll send them a, a sponsorship card and post. It sounds like a great route and very well thought out as well. I've seen you've had a, a number of big names in racing have committed to getting involved as well. Yeah, it's <clears throat> the racing community is is fantastic. It's quite a small community, really, because once you know one person, they'll put you in touch with somebody else. So Paul Carberry's daughter, Casey Lou, who had her first winner the other day in a pony race, uh, she was on the same football team as my daughter. So I know Paul anyway, because we live quite close to each other. And I asked him, would he take part? And he said he would. And then I asked him, would he have Barry Garrity's number? He says, yeah, of course, yeah. So he gave me Barry's number. I rang Barry, and Barry says, Barry's an absolute gentleman, lovely guy. And he said, yeah, 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 because we're actually going past Barry's house. So we're picking Barry up, uh, and originally him and Paul were just going to do the 8K from Barry's house to Ferry House. But it turns out now that Barry tells me the other day that he's going to try and go from Ferry House right onto the Curra. So it's amazing the way something can just start and evolve and stuff like that, you know. And even um, a huge thanks um, to Francis Smullen, Francis Crowley, um, Kevin Ryan put me in touch with her and I just wanted to get her blessing that it was okay to mention Pat because that's one of the reasons along with mom why the cycle has taken place Frances has been fantastic and she said absolutely and uh, she's actually joining us at the end of the cycle as well so that's going to be an emotional day I think Absolutely, that's all fantastic Kevin So if people listening to this want to get involved you mentioned getting involved in the cycling but if they can't do that um, what can they do? Uh, they can donate uh, if they go to GoFundMe and they search for Costa Cora. We go to get a few bob from people. Uh, so far, we've raised, I think, over 35,000, which is great. Oh. And uh, hopefully, we can keep going with that. Um, we've just over two weeks to go. So people can donate there. <clears throat> and perhaps they know somebody who's cycling in the event that could sponsor them, perhaps. Or, as I said, if they just want to do a few K, like, for example, at Giltown Stud, or probably even Giltown Stud around three o'clock, it's only like 14K from there to Cora stop. I think most people will be able to manage 14k. Yeah, yeah, you'd hope so. You'd hope so, Gavin. Hope so. Um, hope so. I have to say, it's it's brilliant what you're doing, um, and it's it's great to see even a year after Pat's passing, still inspiring people to to donate and, and raise money for the for the cause he worked so hard for. So look, it's anyone listening to this would would want to say well done. It's brilliant what you're doing, um, and thanks very much for speaking to me. I'll be sure to put a link to to the GoFundMe in the notes so people can find it quite easily. But yeah, thanks so much for for telling us all about it, Gavin. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Thank you to Gavin and the very best of luck with the Coast to Curra cycle on the 25th of September. The link to contribute is in the show notes, so if you have a couple of quid to spare, you might consider donating to the cause. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much to all the contributors, Francis Crowley, Dermot Weld, Michael Canan, Jamie Spencer, Ruby Walsh, Kevin O'Ryan, Fran Berry, Kevin Manning, Declan McDonough and Gavin Lynch. Thank you also to Martina and Dermot Wells, and also to the numerous people in HRI, the sponsors of this show, for their support with the idea and their help in making it. Just to note, in a few weeks, there will be an episode of this podcast about the great Vinnie Rowe, one of Pat Smullen's favourite horses, so stay tuned for that one. And now we're going to close with the tribute to Pat you've heard about. It is a version of Stand By Me, featuring the Newbridge Gospel Choir, a huge number of Pat's friends and colleagues, including solos by Declan McDonough and Donna O'Connor. So I hope you enjoy it. Cheers.
Just as long as you stay.